You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. So, Tom, what are we talking about today? Well, we've been trying to talk about Bitcoin for a long time, but you you refuse to do any podcasts because you're building something else. <laughs> yeah, well, it got done, and so now I've been doing podcasts, uh, and this is you know the first one that I think I've ever done, just talking about Bitcoin, or at least mostly about Bitcoin. We can talk about whatever. Uh, but I am curious because I know like you've fallen down the ra- rabbit hole, and if you've you've gone. Can you say all in on Bitcoin? Yeah, I think a good way to kick it off is I'll share my summary of timeline and yeah. for me reaching epiphany because it's been stages. And yeah. I feel like it is for everyone. I feel like everyone it gets it a little bit and they like dabble and then they like think about it more, see it more. And then obviously things change because it's such a new, it's a new technology, it's a new asset. Like, right. Yep. Like, so a lot, a lot has changed in the last few years. And then you kind of explain your where you're at and maybe you're not as far along as I am or whatever. And we can kind of compare the two. Yeah, let's do it. So you start, tell me, tell me the story. Yeah. So let's see, uh, the altcoin craze of 2017 got me, I was even thinking about doing a crypto hedge fund at the time, but I have all these ideas as an entrepreneur. I always have more things that I could do than I have time to do them. So it was just one of those things that kind of fell by the wayside. And it was, I was in Bitcoin at the time. But I was also looking at a lot of other things like Ethereum and Cardano and all these other coins. And like a lot of them are like really cool projects and everything. But I didn't really understand the difference between Bitcoin and these these other cryptocurrencies. Uh, that distinction is very, very important, actually, which which we can unpack. And yes. so I, I owned a little bit. I bought a few altcoins in my Binance account. And I was like, you know, what? I'll just let them sit there. I don't care. It was like I probably spent like I probably invested like ten thousand dollars and I bought a, a mix of coins that were popular and I just like let them sit there. And actually, recently I logged into my Binance account and I had made some money. I think I maybe doubled my money. And now my problem is trying to get my money off Binance because they closed the accounts to U.S. customers and Binance customer service is a freaking nightmare. So like I literally have uh, money locked up there that I'm going to convert to Bitcoin. And so once you can, that's a good lesson yeah, right there. Exactly. Right. And so uh, I was like into it. I've always been a tech person, you know, entrepreneur, gamer, like these things, they very much appeal to my personality. I like new technology. Like I knew I, I'm, I'm willing to be an early adopter, right? I don't have fear around that kind of stuff. I, like, you know, being a poker player, entrepreneur, I like taking risk, right? I have a very healthy, um, but, but I, I would say that I don't like, I don't like gambling, but I like taking calculated risks. There's a huge difference. That's why I actually now, I, my strategy is basically just buy Bitcoin, right? Like and, yeah. and hold and not trade or sell or anything, right? And so that's part of that epiphany is getting to that point. But in the beginning, I thought maybe I'd trade a little bit, but I didn't really get into it. That's that's a whole nother world you have to get into. And so I bought some and I let it sit there. And uh, I just, then I went back to work, went back to business, whatever. And then obviously yeah. so much has changed since then. And then 2020 was like that next big step. And, you know, we can pause at any point if you want, but 2020 was like the next kind of, um, like, look what the government's doing, putting small businesses out of work, like pumping all this money into the system, expanding the fiat, the dollar supply, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I went into like prep mode. Yeah. I was like, okay, let's get our food and our guns and our ammo and all those things taken care of. That's pretty easy. Let me get my finances taken care of. I, bu- I bought a lot of gold and silver and I had probably 10% or so I put into Bitcoin. And it's one of those things. It's like, I should have done the opposite, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. And so since then, uh, 2021, and I got to really give credit to Michael Saylor from uh, MicroStrategy that really tipped me over the edge. He kind of filled a lot of the gaps from a first principles perspective about how to think about Bitcoin. Yep. And one of the biggest aha moments for me was thinking of Bitcoin like uh, digital real estate and yep. the ability to leverage it because I always thought about Bitcoin is like, okay, I, I have my monetary energy stored there. It's a hedge against inflation. It protects me. It, like all the amazing benefits that Bitcoin allow, but it's not really doing anything for me. And as an entrepreneur, I like when my capital is doing something. I want to buy cash flow businesses, real estate, et cetera. And then he he talked about in some of these interviews, almost as an afterthought, yeah, like, you know, we'll, you'll be able to leverage your Bitcoin, get a collateralized, a collateralized um, loan, use that loan to do whatever you want. You want to buy a business, you want to buy real estate, whatever, do that. It's just like what, you know, rich people have been doing for years where they buy a chunk of real estate. Then they say, Hey bank, give me a loan against this and then use that, that money to buy other things. And you just create this perpetual money machine. I mean, it's just literally how the rich keep getting richer is they do things like this. They take, they buy assets, they hold them. 
right? And then yep. they leverage against them to buy more assets and it goes on and on and on forever. And so that was a huge opening in my mind about like, oh my God, like this is what Bitcoin can do. And then the parallels to real estate, it's exactly, in fact, what we're gonna see in the future, this is where it gets really crazy. Banks are gonna be more willing to lend on things like Bitcoin than real estate. It's going to be easier for them. They own it. They can control it, right? They don't have to go through a foreclosure process. If you default on your loan, they just take it out of your account. Like yeah. it's going to be insane. So DeFi, Bitcoin, like these things are literally revolutionizing, revolutionizing everything. So at this point, besides the Binance, do you own any other crypto assets or just Bitcoin? I don't. I've, I've, I own one ether that is literally just in an account that I didn't feel like selling. Yeah. And e even with the hype that's going on right now with it, like, I feel like I should sell it. Uh, I don't, I think ether could maybe grow for years just through the hype, but ether and everything is not Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is just this elemental thing. It's this natural, almost discovery that we've been able to figure out. Whereas all these other things are just like, kind of, I, I look at them as like private projects that, um, can literally go dead or do very well or whatever. And it's pure speculation. Whereas I view Bitcoin as this thing that's been like unleashed in nature that is not going to, cannot be controlled, censored, or put back in the bottle. And it's going to keep just growing and growing, and growing the way, the, the way it's doing. And it's just, you can't stop it. It's, it's a, it's a force that we can't control, which is why it's going to suck up all the monetary energy as Sailor talks about. He's like money finds the best assets. It always does, right? There's a, yeah. there's a law around a Grisham's law or some crap. And like, that's, what's going to happen. So yes, to answer your question, I am about, I would, I, I don't want to really throw, throw numbers out there, but basically this is how to think about it. Um, I own a little bit of gold and silver. I sold most of my, my gold, uh, recently actually converted that to Bitcoin. And I, anytime I get extra dollars from uh, a paycheck, from income for whatever, I literally feel like when it's sitting in my bank account, I'm just wasting away. I convert that to Bitcoin basically. Like, like I'm, I'm down to where I was when I started as an entrepreneur, where I'm like living hand to mouth because I want to just own as much Bitcoin as possible. Yeah. <laughs> like I think insane. I think what you just said is for me, as well as I think for others to make their way into Bitcoin, the easiest way to think about it is people fear I'm going to buy something. And so once you buy, it feels like lost. If you change the mindset is I'm just going to go hold my money in Bitcoin for now. Okay. You're not buying anything. You're just transferring it to hold it in Bitcoin and not cash. And then it's not so scary. You're like, okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just holding cash, but cash as Bitcoin. Yes. Because yep. I did the same things. I mean, recently with, with some income, basically I was like, Bitcoin's at 60,000. If I'm thinking from like an investor standpoint, I'm like, you know, it's pretty heated right now. I don't want to buy, mm -hmm. but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, park my money over here in Bitcoin instead of in cash. And then that's not feel like, oh, I'm not trying to time the market or anything exactly. like that. It's just like, yep. I, I'm, I'm holding it over here. Uh, yes. And like, I feel like people make that switch. It's easier to, that's, I think that's the mindset that I had, which allowed me to initially get in. Cause I'm like, okay, I, I'm not buying anything. I'm not, I'm just going to hold, trading. You're I'm, not just gonna, I'm just going to yeah, hold my cash over here in this separate account. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, interesting. Now I do want to talk about, more about uh your strategy moving forward mm -hmm. uh but i wanted to make a comment about ethereum because i bought ethereum back in 2017 and mate but mostly like what you were talking about so i guess i could rewind real quick quick backstory these hype cycles we've gone through i think are super important and i don't know if satoshi nakamoto did that on, on purpose but the first hype cycle, or so you can consider it well, the second around one. the happenings, right? Which you exactly explain, right? Yes, he did do yeah. that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't hear about Bitcoin until 2013, and that that was the bubble, what the bubble, quote unquote, yeah, right? Right, spiked up to almost a thousand or whatever, and that's why I heard about it. It's when I got interested, I got my first Bitcoin wallet, started like trying to understand this technology. But like you said, it usually takes missing the boat once before you get in the next time. Mm -hmm. So in 2013, you know, hindsight 2020, I would have been, I would have stuck with my enthusiasm, pushed through, whatever. Yes. Fast forward to 2017, you know, the next bull market starts trending up. I get into the technology again. Finally, fortunately, allocate some capital into Bitcoin, but I also went into Ethereum because, like you said, to me, it felt like normally you have to be an institutional investor to put money into a startup. And I've studied startups. I've been fascinated with startups like you, an entrepreneur. Yeah. 
And one of the things investors say about startups is like you invest in the founder. And I'd listened to Vitalik Buterin, who's basically the founder of Ethereum, kind of the face of Ethereum, the head developer, whatnot. And he was 21 years old or something like that. And I'm listening to this guy talk. I'm like, holy shit, this is the the smartest kid I've ever listened to. Mm -hmm. And I was like, everything between like his knowledge of cryptography to like macroeconomics, like because there's such a massive spread of like stuff to know in crypto. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'd never heard anyone articulate ideas like he, like he was articulating. So I basically put in some money into Ethereum just as like a speculative investment, like a startup investment, kind of like what a venture capitalist would do, an angel investor would do. Normally we'd be held out of those opportunities, uh, but because of the nature of crypto, you know, we're able to put money into a, to a token like that. And I do think I, so I still hold ether, but I'll, I'll probably end up selling most, if not all of it this year, because I think, well, I think still think like Vitalik is like a wonder child. He's still only like mid twenties, sure, but he's attackable. He, he's, he's actually a risk though. That's he problem. is, he's yeah. a cent, it's a centralization in, in a whole decentralized world. Yep. Uh, and I think everything, the whole purpose of Ethereum, I think all of that can and will be built on top of Bitcoin. So you won't have two, you'll have one, you'll have Bitcoin base layer. And on top of that, you'll yes, have the application layer, layer yep. like yep. lightning where that's going, et cetera. So I, you know, I don't know what the future of Ethereum is, but I, I have a feeling it'll be on top of Bitcoin and not a separate thing. And because right. to me, that's what makes sense. And right now, Ethereum has the biggest, you know, pool of developers and things like that. So there's a lot of promise in that. And I don't think it's disappearing anytime soon, but like you, it's like, I, if you want to like to throw money at a project, sure. But right. to me at this point, it's like Bitcoin's the winner. Might as well just double down on the winners. Yeah. Well, uh, and the, uh, think about it this way. So TCIP is internet protocol, right? They've already established it's not even the most effective one. No. Right. I mean, but, but, it, but it's it was entrenched. That, exactly. It was entrenched. It hit the network effects made it so that you can't replace it. Exactly. Right? And the billion dollar company. So that here's two ways to think about this. The billion dollar company, trillions of dollars of wealth have been built on top of the protocol. If you were able to somehow get some kind of financial stake in that protocol in some way. That's what Bitcoin is for the right? internet. Basically, the internet it, of it, money. It, it, in that it's, but Bitcoin is unique in that you get a stake in the entire financial Internet. system of humanity right right it, i like how michael saylor puts it like there's 21 million, million yep pieces of the financial world like real estate yep and you can buy a piece of it you can own a piece of it yep which and yep. when you start thinking of it like that you're like oh shit yeah well and how that compares to ethereum is i look at ethereum if it can do a lot of the smart contract stuff and all these different things, and if it does carve out a use case for that and in, in, in like Bitcoin, you know, doesn't take over completely or whatever, like maybe there's like a, a way for them both to coexist. There's going to be different projects. There's going to be different things. I think there's I, cross compatibility that can be developed between yeah. them, but yeah. I don't think that, I think uh, Ethereum is going to be more like a TCP IP protocol where why does the coin have to have any value? Right, you, you need just enough to maintain the network and then to kind of make those things happen. But there's no reason that like Ethereum isn't gonna suck financial energy out from other assets, whereas Bitcoin is, because they're completely different things, right. right? So I look at Ethereum as like, okay, what is our base amount it should be worth to transact in it? Maybe you wanna do NFTs on it. Maybe you wanna, maybe it does end up being like the second internet that does all these cool things. Right. But there's no reason for that to 10X, 100X, 1000X in value. Because it, it's not in, it's not basically playing the financial game. Whereas Bitcoin is a, a decentralized asset that all of the financial energy on the planet, four hundred trillion dollars or so, is being drawn to like a magnet because of the merits of the thing and how amazing it is. Basically, yep. Right. And one of the things, like one of the biggest value propositions of Bitcoin, is you know the rules, right? And the rules are basically you can change un- them. The rules are untamperable. Yeah. Uh, with Ethereum. The rules are Chase malleable years. and they yeah. recently just did an update where to kind of be a competitor with Bitcoin to, for basically similar to like a having schedule where it becomes, you know, they set a monetary, a monetary policy to make it a store of value. Yeah. Um, so, but that's the thing. You, you don't know what the rules are and they could be changing. And, and since they don't have the network effects of Bitcoin, it's not entrenched like that. To me, it's still very much kind of like a project and a risky, right, a spec, it's kind of a speculative investment at this point. Yep. Yep.
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this uh, having cycle. So I, I know it sounds like you're a fan of Michael Saylor. He thinks this having stuff is like, that's fine. You can't look at history and base our future uh, basically yeah, he price says, predictions on that. He says all your models fall apart when exactly. Godzilla shows up to your basketball court and just destroys everything. Exactly. So yeah. do you subscribe to that or do you think we're going to have another cycle? And just for quick, for the listeners, quick recap. Bitcoin has this halving every four years. Basically, it's a supply shock. And we've seen consistently after the halving, we get this bull market where price tends to go parabolic. And then we see a 70, 80, 90% correction in price for you know a period of time, usually a three-year pretty stagnant before we start the next parabolic run. That's what we've seen so far. And right now, it is looking... We saw it in 2017. We saw it in 2013. It's looking like in 2021, we're seeing the start of this parabolic rise, which likely is not going to come to fruition until, uh, let's say, end of September, October, November, December, sometime in those months. Yep. Uh, now, there's this theory that now the institutions are coming in. We're, we we may see this parabolic rise, but we're not going to see a crash. Like It's kind of just going to keep going up and up and up. What do you think? Okay. So let's define what Sailor meant by saying that all your models are relevant when Godzilla shows up to your basketball game. What he's saying is, and you find this all over Twitter, you have people talking about how they're going to predict this, the, the, their, their charters, they look at charts and whatever. The, if, if the future was dictated by what happened in the past, then, I mean, we'd all be trillionaires because we could just predict what's going to happen, right? right? But we know that doesn't happen, okay? So the past is, does not give you, it might give you some cues about what could happen or maybe yep. some clues, Right, nobody can time the market. Um, the, the most famous investors of all time, like Warren Buffett, particularly, he just buys assets and holds them. He doesn't right. care about price fluctuations. He doesn't care about stock prices unless the stocks are down and he has a buying opportunity. Okay, selling. I have this philosophy that the majority of investors don't beat the market or do anything substantial because they're too overactive. They try to buy, they try to sell, they try to time. I mean, like, yeah, I sold Bitcoin in 2017. I don't even remember what I bought at and what I had, but I would probably have. A lot, I would have lots of money, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Lots of financial energy if I didn't do that. And and I and I and I gave some of that financial energy to the IRS because I I there was a tax capital gains event, tax, yeah. Right? So it's like what? So yeah. it's like I don't even like looking in the past really. I don't like thinking, oh, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. Um and I have friends that have done that on an even higher degree to where they could have bought it at like fifty dollars, but they were paying too much attention to Peter Schiff and they were too into the gold bug thing. And he convinced them to not buy Bitcoin. And he's like, Peter Schiff cost me millions of dollars basically because I listened to him. Right. So you have to be a first principles thinker. You have to think for yourself. And you almost always have to be contrarian to what everyone else is doing. So if there's a lot of hype in the market, if there's a lot of money flowing around, if there's a lot of these amazing things, if there's people talking about Dogecoin and this and that, whatever, you're gambling. Yeah. It's pure gambling, pure speculation. Okay. So I don't like to make price predictions other than that are shorter than five years. So do yep. I believe that Bitcoin is going to be worth more today than it, uh, more in five years than it is today? Yes. That's why when it hit 60, I was buying because I had extra cash. I don't care if it corrects down, whatever, as long right. as it doesn't go to zero or maybe to like under a thousand, like, and even then I probably would just like get as much money as I can to buy more. If yep. I really like, if I really believe in the technology and I do, uh, I, that's what I would do. What you see in Bitcoin is that there is so much conviction. It's it's like a religion it and is. that's very good though, because we need to be able to protect the network and to believe in it. And we have, we have this religion of holding, which means that there's going to, oh, there, we're going to continually raise the ceiling, uh, uh, not the ceiling, but the, the floor, floor. That we're going to raise the to. floor Absolutely. because like I posted on Twitter the other day, I was like, the reason Bitcoin's going to win is because every time there's a dip, everyone's like freaking out and like predicting how it's going to be whatever. I literally scour my bank accounts for more fiat to buy the dip. That's how you if know I had more money. I would keep buying it. Right. That's how, you know, you have strong conviction in an investment because that's why I love Bitcoin. I'm excited I, by volatility. I was telling people dips. Yes. Bitcoin is the best asset for me because I love when it drops so I can buy it. And I love when it yep. goes up because I own it. And I'm like, exactly. that's, that's when, you know, you have conviction. So tell me this, there is no price that you're going to sell Bitcoin at this year. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. I, I actually might, I probably will never sell Bitcoin in my lifetime. I'll probably pass that on my kids. Okay, so I just, wanna run, I just want to run a scenario. A trust, yeah. A scenario. Okay. I think people are underestimating the parabolic run we're going to have this year. I think we will see. The common thought is this: Bitcoin will go to two, three hundred thousand, correct down to a hundred thousand, 
basically modeling what's known as the stock to flow model, which has become really popular. Uh, and then we'll sit around 100,000 until 2024, roughly. I think that's not going to happen. Or that could happen. I think it has a probability. What very I think, low probability, though. I think we're underestimating it this year. And I think we'll see. I it seems crazy to say right now, but I think we'll see something north of five, six, seven, even eight hundred thousand in Bitcoin in sometimes at late Q3, Q4. But I do think we're going to see a correction again. Uh, and I think it'll probably correct down to, I, I don't know what it's going to correct down to, but I assume at least 70% from there, maybe eight, probably 80%. Yeah. So this is my thought. I mean, and then this is just from just going so deep down the rabbit hole and, and you know, studying people way smarter than me and trying to make sense of their models. And so there is a case for me personally, where if Bitcoin I can see basically on the on-chain data, it goes up to, let's just say 800,000. And it seems like we're at this blow off peak and there's on-chain indicators that would say, okay, we kind of hit the peak. We're selling a percentage of the Bitcoin. Yeah, going to pay a hefty capital gains taxes on this. However, if it does do the 70, 80% correction over the next you know 12 months, 18 months, I can then buy my Bitcoin plus X percent more Bitcoin because I made that trade. And this is not like trying to day trade. This is more of like a four-year cycle macro trade. Yep. And, you know, it's kind of against the Bitcoin gospel, like you were saying. Like, I, I've never sold a Bitcoin. Uh, I've never sold any crypto asset. I, everything I've bought, I've held, uh, which is just Bitcoin, about 50 Ether, and a Litecoin. And I bought a Litecoin back in 2017 just because I knew if I bought one, it would, I just wanted to keep a track of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I haven't sold anything. But I do think at the end of this year, if it does this parabolic run that I, I kind of think people are underestimating that we could see, uh, taking some chips off the table for the only purpose of being able to buy more in 2022, 23. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's actually reasonable logic, but here's where I side with Michael Saylor on this point. The re I didn't really answer the question of what does Michael Saylor mean when he says your models don't work when Godzilla shows up? What he means, and let's say the metaphor of Godzilla is when central banks or even the rumor from a game theory perspective that central banks are going to put on their balance sheet and then they all start doing it or yeah. when the rumor that apple's going to put on its, on its balance sheet and so the microsoft jumps the gun he means that all your models don't make any sense because we're moving into uncharted territory right where things are completely unpredictable and they can basically hit this meteoric rise with a few tipping points where yeah. then it never comes down again forever Right. And if you believe that, as I do, that Bitcoin is going to suck up a lot of the financial energy for the human race, right, over the next five to 10 years. And then we take into the fact that nobody has ever, ever been able to predict correctly uh, what happens in any market. Right. And the people that do, especially they, Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, they get lucky <laughs> if they do. And then it doesn't work again. So you don't really hear about them again. Like yeah. nobody can really do it consistently. The people that went consistently are like the long-term Intel, like the guys that do it for, for a living and they buy assets long-term. They really think from a, like a macro perspective and like 99% of humanity isn't going to do that. doesn't have time to do that. Right. Yeah. And they also can't apply those models to Bitcoin. So even then Warren Buffett's good at buying old boring companies and he's built his fortune that way. He also built his fortune in one of like the greatest bull runs of, you know, just America, right. In the financial system and the reserve currency and like all these factors post-World War II that were there that set him up perfectly. We might not ever see that again. I mean, we're literally inflating away uh, the stock market and American businesses. Like what, what people, what the government is doing with fiat is going to actually, and Sarah talks about this a lot, is going to destroy the earning power of a lot of businesses. It, it makes it so that you thought you were making money, but then the cost of capital goes up. And so now your revenue can't even compete. Your operating right. dollars, like there's a lot of things that I don't even understand. Uh, though I, I do look at Zimbabwe or Venezuela or whatever, and you can't even sell a cup of coffee because one day it's double the price or triple. And like, how do you conduct commerce in that kind of environment? And that's really what we're heading to unless there's, unless there's something that's going to fix it. So I believe that the second one of these main tipping points, one one of these institutional investors or one of like the, you know, the handful of billionaires that decide to like follow the other billionaires, right? We're just going to see this um, monkey see monkey do effect that's going to literally skyrocket. And I don't believe that we're going to see a Bitcoin volatility evening out within 10 years. 
like maybe within 10 years, the, the, it will mature and like Bitcoin will be a hundred trillion and $200 trillion asset. Right. And like it'll, it, and then gold will have its place. Silver will have its place. All these different things will kind of stabilize and maybe it becomes a base layer of humanity and all the, all the fiat pegs to it. And then we have, this, uh, then we, then we've solved so many problems of humanity because we fix the money. Like if that happens that way, it might take 20 years, who knows? Um, then everything until then, in my opinion, is too short-term thinking. Yeah. So you should, so all your decisions should be based on based on what's going to happen in ten years, and the best way to do that is just to buy and hold and not not try to time anything. That that's just my perspective, and then okay. not not give any of your financial energy to the to the IRS, right? Like you're literally going to if you sell, you are always going to give some unless it's a loss. You're going to give some of the energy to the IRS, and there's nothing you can do to prevent that. Yeah, for sure. So you so if Bitcoin hits a million dollars this year in 2021, you are I'll holding, tell you what I'll do. Exactly. You're holding strong. I'm going to I'm going to leverage it. I will take out a 33% to 55% LTV loan out. I will then use that hopefully to buy up real estate that's at a discount because of some crazy stuff that's going on. Or I'm going to buy car washes or businesses or, you know, package so stores or whatever. Just to, just to push back just a little bit against that, because here's my thought. If it hits a million this year, it's going to hit a million for about five seconds. And so, because just if it hits a million, I think it's due to a parabolic, basically the hype curve. And we're at, you go from greed to... Uh, I, right. I can't, I can't think what the top, what, whatever it is. It's yeah. just like delusion, you know, you know, unicorns, everything like that. And so just like 2017, where it, it like touched 20,000 for a, a minute before it dropped down to 16,000 and then, you know, all its way down. I don't think we'll be sitting at a million dollar Bitcoin in 2021 for any substantial amount of time if we hit it. So to be on a platform saying, Right when it hits a million, give me a loan for thirty percent. Give me that three hundred grand right now. Uh, that would be great. I just don't. I, I think that process takes time and to try and time to get a loan at that rate. Whereas, if you are watching on chain indicators, things like that, you just see massive massive inflows of Bitcoin onto exchanges, which is basically a good indicator that a lot of people are about to sell. Uh, and it's like, okay, maybe we are at the hype, the the peak of hype. Let's exit some here, which you can. I'm not gonna say you can time the top of this because you know mm-hmm. it's like like you're saying it's it's unpredictable. But there's there you can make educated trading decisions. Let's just say uh, where you can actually get that. Yeah, you're gonna pay capital gains. Uh, but to me, there's a for people that are deep into the modeling of this and on-chain analysis and things like that. I think there's a you can make a case for selling some in order to buy back uh, if you think. This Michael Saylor strategy, a gorilla is not going to come wreck the game. Like you said, to me, the sign of never selling a Bitcoin ever again would be if central banks are buying it. Because to me, that's game over. And like you said, it could be a game theory thing, even if there's like a rumor about one selling it, which causes another one to go. Yep. Or another A rumor one's buying it causes another one to go yep. buy it. But, I mean, the game theory is, is real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's what we're going to see in four years. So you think, well, if it hits a million and I have a loan out, let's say it's 33% LTV, that my margin call doesn't come in until it's lost 77% of its value. Right. Or maybe the margin calls at 50% and like there's- I just don't think you'll be able to get a loan, a Bitcoin at a million. I mean, because, you know, I think what we're going to see is a a parabolic, you know- Okay, well, here, let me explain this. So today, I I literally did this today before our podcast. Good timing. I- had my most of my Bitcoin in a cell in the Celsius app. Okay, now there's different platforms that do this. They all have their different risks and everything's not investing advice. Is what I did. Uh, I did. I took out a 33% LTV loan against my Bitcoin holdings. Okay, yeah. I did the app. Was it instant, instantaneous? So yeah, that, that's what I'm going to explain. That. Okay. That's, this is kind of how it happened. Yep. I went through the process, like looking at the things in the app again on my phone outside in the Austin sun. I didn't have to go to a bank. I didn't have to call anybody. I'm talking to anybody. Uh, I adjusted the throttle, how much interest do I want to pay, how much I'm going to get, what, what my LTV is. If it was 50% LTV, it was like 9%. It was 33% LTV, which, which is loan to value, meaning how much do I need to stake against that? Like the lower you go, the safer it is for them. And so the, thus the lower interest you pay. Yep. The 33% was like 7%. And then they even have a 1% option where if you do only 25% LTV, meaning if you have like a million in Bitcoin, they can give you a loan up to $250,000. They charge you 1% interest. Hmm. 
Because they just know that like it's it's uh, yeah we don't even get into that but like it's crazy and I think crypto banks are going to completely destroy institutional banking which is another reason why I'm so pro all this because what we're seeing is actually not just like this one asset that's going to suck up energy we're seeing we're going to see a revolution of the entire financial industry on a global basis right and that's that's going to bring all this different money it's going to it's going to bring institutions in in, in and that's why um, Michael Saylor is saying that God, when God, Godzilla shows up. When all institutions are in, when every Apple, Facebook, Google decide to put a few billion dollars in their balance sheet, or maybe they hold all of their cash in a reserve currency, like which we could say over the next four years, if the Biden administration keeps doing what it's doing, that's going to become more and more lucrative because the people that manage the money for these companies are going to be like, we're losing 25% of our cash exactly. a year. And if you're, if you're Apple, they have about 140 billion, 103 billion in cash. They're losing billions of dollars in purchasing power every year because they don't know what to do with their money, right? right? So so he says like, when these behemoths that have all this capital, not these institutional investors that will meme invest and do all this swing stuff, right? Which I think drives a lot of the craziness. I think institutionals actually stabilize, right? And because this is an asset that you tend to want to hold, right? You have all these other things that kind of change the future and make the past not as indicative of what can happen in the future. And I see it, the more the asset matures, things also become less volatile and the ups and downs are, are, are higher and lower, right? Or less high and less, less low. So I go to Celsius app, I hit approve, read the documents, approve. 30 minutes later, I get a notification on my phone that the loan is approved. Okay. And we're, we're not talking a small amount of money either. It's not like I did a 500, a 500, a, uh, I did, this was thousands of dollars that, yep. they, that they loaned me, right? Yep. And it's going to be in my bank account because I chose bank account. I could have got a stable coin, which would have went instant. even faster. Yeah. Like, I think it would have been instant. So like I within so 30 too. minutes, yeah. not talking to a single human, right? I, 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 I become my own bank, Yeah. right? It's unbelievably powerful, right? And it's going to change everything. So I'm doing that. And I have some investment opportunities that I'm looking into, some, some physical businesses that cash flow. Let's say I get that business cash flowing. Uh, my principal, my interests are now paying down that loan. My Bitcoin is still mine. It's just collateralized. So it's, it's, it's pledged against something. So when I pay off that loan, I get all my Bitcoin back. And in the, in the one to two years or three years or whatever I want to do for my loan term, my Bitcoin is likely to appreciate at 200% a year, maybe more, right? And even if it only appreciates at 20%, you, the, the financial arbitrage and the differences here in the spreads are un, they're insane because right. there's never been an asset in our lifetimes that have been growing at this rate. Right. Like it's just, it's just a completely different world. We don't even know what we're getting into. Like the just Bitcoin was a discovery of, for humanity, right. And, yeah. and solving Byzantine, the Byzantine general problem and the decentralization, all these different things. So that's how I'm thinking about it. It's DeFi. It's, it's the future is going to wake up these sleeping giants and things are going to be completely different when that happens. Yep. And like, I just don't think that, okay, so I'll close this thought out. Sailor had a quote that I was dreaming about. Like I, I, in my dreams, I'm like dreaming about this shit, thinking about this. Like when your subconscious is going, you have dreams yeah. about it. He's like, I woke up one morning, like 7 a.m., half asleep. And I, and I recalled this quote from a video I watched the night before. He's like, he's like, John, I'm, I have nightmares that nobody's going to sell me Bitcoin. Every day I wake up, nobody's going to sell me Bitcoin. And this guy, one guy, is so convicted that every extra penny that he makes for his billion dollar company is trying to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. What, what, what happens when we have like, I'm a mini Michael Saylor at this point. I will keep buying. So, so if we think about it that way, every, every dollar that Bitcoin increases or every value, right? And, and the more exposure gets, the more uh, social proof it gets, right? Because humans invest, they follow humans. Institutions follow institutions. Central banks follow central banks. It's all social like investing and, and whatever. Most people think the stock market is safe or real estate is safe or whatever. And they know nothing about the pros and cons. They don't even research it. They just do it because people do it. Well, if we had a million dollars in Bitcoin, it, I mean, it could wake up a billion humans that didn't even know about it before, yep. right? Like, yep. so if we can get like a, a, a thousand Michael Saylors, billionaires that will keep buying it, a thousand institutions that have billions and billions of dollars of financial energy, uh, maybe 500,000 mini Michael Saylors like myself that have a little bit of money. And then maybe like a billion people that just want to store a couple hundred dollars there because everyone else is doing it. I think it just destroys all the models and we just hit, we hit uh, terminal velocity. You can't, you can never come back. That's yeah. my philosophy on it. I, I think similarly. So the, the way I've been thinking about this is two, two things. I've been thinking a lot about the four like the having cycles, the models that have been very predictable up here and see like what might happen this year. But I've been trying to 
I think we are in a super interesting macroeconomic environment. Like basically 2009, we had the housing crisis. And mm-hmm. right after that, sure enough, the white paper was released and that started this whole thing. Yep. And in 2020, we kind of had the next, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, next, you know, the COVID crisis, but the next form of, okay, now this is monetary policy. Interest yep, rates are near, yep. interest rates are near zero at zero, print trillions and trillions of dollars. Fed buys assets, never Fed, Fed is buying assets. How does this end? What's the end game? And then there's so many, I actually, I'm, I, I post this in my newsletter, it's coming out tomorrow, where it's like, I'm thinking about these macroeconomic trends. If you've heard of the fourth turning. Yeah, um, I've read it. Yeah. So the fourth turning. The individual sovereign which predicted this, or the sovereign individual. Which the sovereign, sovereign individual. As well. What yep. Ray Dalio talks about so well, the long the end of a long-term debt cycle, which is yep. what we just described, where the interest rates are at zero and, the, and monetary policy, the only way to do it is print trillions of dollars. It's like, it seems like there's a macro reset that's going to get pressed. And we see, and I don't know, I don't know what it's going to look like because I've, there's the obvious inflationary forces of printing tons and tons of money. But there's also the, I think, a possibility of deflation, the deflation, like the collapse, deflationary forces. Um, and people like, uh, Kathy Ark or Kathy Wood of Ark Investment and Jeff Booth, who's a big Bitcoiner, like they yeah, have this the price of tomorrow, the price of tomorrow. And, and yep. so they're talking about we are heading into a world of exponential deflation due to technology dropping prices. And to me, what I cannot wrap my head around is how this how this is going to end, because we're printing money, which is devaluing the dollar. Basically, the purchasing power of a dollar goes down. But in a deflationary exponential environment, the purchasing power of a dollar actually goes up because technology drives the price of goods down. Down, so you'll be able to buy more but not for, for a dollar. Assets. But but exactly so consumer goods, but not for assets. Which Ex- is why Sailor talks about asset inflation a lot. Ex- scarce yeah. assets. So I yeah. feel like we will see scarce assets go to the moon. Yep. And even commodities, right? Because commodities are the things you need. They're not. It's not like unlimited. It's not limited supply, but not unlimited supply. Right, you actually have to pay for these things. So, and it seems like this fourth turning, like I, because I had not read that book, and so I watched a bunch of videos, read a bunch about yep. this thesis online. I'm like, like mm-hmm. the fourth, the answer to the fourth turning is Bitcoin. It's it seems so obvious, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we're gonna see one. Of, so basically, I'm saying all this because one of thing something I think could happen is a move out of. So we have this equity market that is super inflated right now. Mm-hmm. And people that have their money in there, smart money might be like, okay, I'm going to go put this somewhere safe. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, which, you know, depending on what that means, but if a lot of people do that, we're going to see a crash of the equity market. Or if interest raises rise at all to try and stop inflation, we're going to see a, a collapse of the stock market. Yep. And so there's an opportunity, and this is trying to time the market stupid, um, but this is where my brain has been going this year is, if we see a parabolic rise in Bitcoin this year and you're able to sell some, take some chips off the top, and it does do its cyclical 70% crash re- correction, and the economy tanks too, you have a lot of cash, which is what you would want in that environment to buy assets, like, like a stock I've wanted to own forever, but I've never bought because I've always felt as inflated, is Tesla. It's like, I'd love to buy Tesla. But to me, like I look at the, the PE ratio and whatever, and I'm like, I, I, could never, super I could never justify buying Tesla. But if we had a correction of the stock market, it wasn't so inflated. And I would I would definitely buy that because I see the, that would be like, look, I think Tesla is going to be one of the few companies that's here in 20 years. Like, There's not a whole lot of companies I feel super confident about yeah. that's like 20 years, this company is going to still be going in the right direction um uh, so i i, I want to hear what, what's your thoughts on the macroeconomics what's going to happen with the stock market in the next 10 years commodities gold what do you, like what do you think yeah so i am i consider myself a student of all this for my entire adult life i feel like i've i've probably read over 100 books on investing stock market whatever i've i've listened to thousands of videos and i still yeah. don't feel like i really understand it that's how i i so right? i'm in the same boat with, it's so complicated but I think that's to my advantage because like I hear these guys talk about things like interest rates, whatever. Like I, I, I barely understand why interest rates, like why zero is just basically not sustainable. I mean, interest rates are the cost of capital. You're, you can't run an economy with 0% interest rates. Like it literally doesn't work. Like it's, it's mathematically impossible. So we're just kicking the can down the road. I mean, that's what the Fed does. Um, but these are things I don't really understand. 
I like to take the very broad first principles approach. That's why Sailor pushed me over the edge because I'm a first principle thinker. Yeah. He's, uh, I'm, a, I've always considered myself a little bit of an iconoclast. I'm always willing to go against what everyone else does and ma- what's mainstream. In fact, I actively seek it out at this point in my life because I found that that's where the truth is and that's where the results are. Like you, anything that you do because everyone else is doing, you're, you're, you're taking on extra risk. You're creating fragilities and it's probably not the best thing you should be doing. Like, so just think for yourself, right? Yeah. So, I'd have no idea what's going to happen. But if I think from this from a first principles perspective, all the things we talked about with Bitcoin and the financial energy and how it's going to attract like a magnet financial energy, regardless of what happens, regardless of what the Fed does. And if and at this rate, like deflation, inflation, the Fed is printing money. We can have deflation in certain technologies and certain things. But I mean, if you think about it, this is how I would answer that question. I feel like the things that we have to, that we need to survive are going to are going to are not subject to deflation as much. Like you, it takes a certain amount of energy to create a pound of grass-fed beef, right? There's like proof of work there, right? So you can't really take technology and like grow beef in in a, in a week and make it good and healthy. Like right. that just doesn't exist. We don't have that technology yet. But I can make like apps and certain things cheaper and like certain technological things, but like, it's still going to be a certain amount of proof of work that has to go into mother nature, which fuels us, right? A certain amount of proof of work into raw building materials, uh, which is why you have lumber at record highs. You have the cost of building at record highs. And then the scarce assets that people want, like beachfront property, or at this point, any real estate or farmland or whatever. These things don't benefit from technological deflation I mean, maybe a little bit, maybe around the edges, maybe like up to 10% because you can like have more efficient organizations, but it's not like Moore's laws taking effect here, right? Like, you know, like we have Silicon innovation, Moore's law, things like that, that can take that, that can create deflations, all these different things. But there's, there's still a baseline that science hasn't been able to figure out. Like until we can basically scientifically create really, really good food for humans and put into a small pill, like until we're at that point, um, I don't see deflation really hitting the things that much of humanity needs. Uh, you know, it's all the things that we don't really need that yeah. could kind of go, right? So I think that's the way to think about like inflation versus deflation. But the other thing about the stock market that's that's interesting, and I don't know as much about this. So I'm I'm basically parroting what, what Sailor's talked about. He's he when he goes really in depth in this, he talks about how the financial models for a lot of the SP 500, the big the big companies, when the cost of capital, which is a fancy word of saying basically inflation, like how much you're losing in financial energy every year, starts hitting 10%, 15%, 20%. Well, your entire business may no, may no longer be feasible. Right. Right. Because you might make, like, let's say your margin is 10%. Like you have a 10% profit margin after all said and done. And you're, you're making water, that yeah. in fiat. You're literally n- losing money by operating your company, even though you're, you could be generating millions and millions and millions of dollars of, pro- of cash profit. Right. Right. The system, the underlying system is is rotting away. And so I've I'm I think I'm gonna sell my st- all my stocks. I, I have some, I've kept some. I, I like owning companies. Um, I pick a few companies I like that I think will be around for the long run. Yeah. And I'm just willing to just buy it and ignore it, basically. Yep. So I'm thinking about even selling. And if I was gonna ever time anything, the way I'm thinking about it is I'm storing my financial energy in Bitcoin. I can leverage it at any point I need to uh to then buy real estate businesses and maybe stocks if we do have a major uh, inflationary event, deflationary event, whatever, right? So I like thinking about Bitcoin as a, fi- a way to store my financial energy. And that's that's like what you talked about. Like instead of it being like an investment or speculation, it's just I'm parking my energy there. And uh, it's 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 wealth. It's my family's wealth. And it will, it will keep growing. Uh, but even if it doesn't, I would still keep it there in the current environment we're in because it's reached a level of insanity and it's, 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 it's beyond what they can put back, like fix it's beyond uh, fixing at this point. And so we have no idea what's going to happen in five, 10 years. Like some major correction is going to have to happen. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what I've tried to be like, make, I like to try and form a thesis of what like I think might happen. But at this point, I don't even have a thesis that, that first principles. Well, what would your first principles be? Because like- for I think of things like I think because you mentioned real estate, and usually like real estate's super interesting to me because first principles thinking you buy a house, okay? You think in my head, 
when you buy that house should be the most valuable that house ever is. It's brand if, new. If you live in it, it's not. That's the distinction. If, well, so this, the, the thought in, in, t- in today is, you know, real estate always goes up. I mean, we know that's not true because we saw the housing crisis. It's actually, it actually just maintains purchasing power. It's, it's, it's almost like an inflation hedge. Yeah. But so the what, interesting thing, I, you know, I was talking to my girlfriend about this. I'm like, when you buy a car, for example, it's an easier example. It, the value of that car goes down because you're using right. it at wear and tear. But when you buy a house, logically, the value of that house should decrease over time because you're using it. It's breaking down. You're going to have to more repairs down the road. So, But housing appreciates really only because the dollar is depreciating. I mean, that's the only explanation. Well, well the two differences here is real estate can produce income. It's a usable asset. And True. so in the future, if, Tes- if Tesla has it so that your self-driving cars can go around and be a, a, a mobile yes. Uber, it will completely change It'll what be... a car as an asset actually is, yep. right? We're not there yet. So that brings me into kind of my next thing I was thinking about with real estate. Right now, the real estate market is inflating. Okay, yep. House- housing prices are super high. Now, I feel like there has to be a reckoning point unlike, I feel like almost the stock market can just inflate indefinitely. And there's just becomes a total disconnect between, you know, well, we're already there, but I mean, I don't know. Exactly. We are already there. Yeah. But for housing, because it is an income producing asset, if you go buy a million dollar house and you're trying to rent it out on what to pay that mortgage to someone who right is there. not, who let's just call them a middle class P and L there. Ex- right. But a middle-class American, it's like, look, I'm only, you know, I can only spend 1200 dollars a month on rent. Um, Taxes will keep going up. So there's taxes. So then it's like real estate, the pricing has to make sense. And you start there's a correction there. So exactly like in 2009. Exactly. Yeah. And so I feel like, I feel like that market's like, if I was investing a bunch of cash right now, it seems like real estate's always like a decent investment, but I almost like, maybe not right now. No, I, 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 I very much agree. Um, it's housing is even like Buffett talks about how, it's the price you buy an asset. Like he talks about stocks generally, like it's the price you buy that matters. And housing is absolutely the same. Um, I think there's some more wiggle room. And the thing about real estate also is like, it kind of follows, it takes some time for these things to manifest. So like the stock market could be at all time highs, but this, the real estate market might lag for like two to three years. Also, here's the other thing. We're in an environment where there is still a mortgage uh, memorandum or whatever they call it, where they, Lenders have not been able to foreclose on people not paying their mortgages. Right. Right. I think there's even a rent eviction thing where you can't even evict people for not paying the rent. This, this could come to a I reckoning mean, soon. Like it's, it's, this shit is where it's a circus at this point. This is not sound economic principles. It's not a free market. We're, we're basically living in the United States of socialist America is what we've, what we've, we've come to and how more of this will continue and what new crazy ideas will come up with right? You can't really invest in this environment. And, and like your models are all broken. I feel like that, that's kind of what I said talks about where like, so if those models are broken, go to a model that's going to benefit you with all the craziness, which is where Bitcoin is. Whereas real estate and stocks are going to probably, there's going to be pain there because we don't know what they're going to do. And they control so much of it and they control so much of the policy. Whereas Bitcoin is outside the financial system itself. Yeah. You know, it's like gold. And so I think this is, what we're talking about is like the next four plus years that's going to drive Bitcoin's growth is I've spent so much time this year, at literally an hour every day while I'm working out, listening to mm-hmm. investing macroeconomics, Bitcoin podcast, et cetera. And I'm thinking like, where can I put money? Like, where's a place to invest it? And like, you, there's like nowhere to go. It feels like, I feel like you can go into the stock market, right? You invest in equities, but it seems like it's super expensive. And it's like, okay, it's, it's pretty overheated. You look at real estate, it's pretty overheated. It's like, where do you go to find yield? Uh, especially with inflation. So if you take into account inflation, it's like bonds are giving you negative yield real. So you're losing money with bonds. It's like Bitcoin is like almost the only answer you can go to, yes. to try and find yield. Exactly. That's yes. Yes. And it's not even yield. There will be yield, but you're when the world wakes up to that Bitcoin is the only kind of safe place, which every single day that governments operate and do their stupid thing, 
Bitcoin, like you said, like you you literally went through the Socratic method and you're like, there's nothing else. Like when yeah. more people wake up to that, when when companies wake up to that, when companies that have lots of money and private individuals have lots of lots of dollars or whatever, they're just like, this shit isn't working anymore. I'm not willing to just let the government steal because inflation is stealing out of your bank account. People don't realize that inflation is a silent tax, as they say. When people wake up to that- It's really stealing from the that. poor. It's, it's, it's stealing it's, from the working- class and inflates assets that the rich own so it, yes. it 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 creates a bigger divide of course it does right the, yes and that's a whole other topic um the fiat standard is has made it so that the greatest divide in the history of humanity has happened in like the last 40 years in, in the in the world and in america sp- sp- specifically but it's going to become obvious and then all the models before are gone and yes the way i'm thinking about it the only two things that are worth owning, I feel like at this point. And there are real estate that's worth owning. It just depends on the real estate. There's so many other things. There's execution risk. There's there's tax risk. If you own if you own real estate in California versus Texas, like, you know, like yeah, things they they do whatever they want there. Like so, you know, there's all these variables. You have to know what you're doing. It's not as obvious as like buy real estate and you're good as it right. used to be. Yeah. Um. So, Bitcoin and businesses you control, I feel like are the only two things. And I own silver because I like it. And it has an industrial use, but that's not really an investment. That's just kind of a storage of wealth. And, you know, it, I mean, I could maybe hit mining inflation. So that could actually over 40 years, maybe I could lose value or whatever. It'll probably gain value because it'll be another kind of safe haven that people will will come to. Um, but yeah, like owning assets that can produce income or maybe even like IP, owning IP, that'd be like another one, but usually you own that through a business. So like owning yep. a business you can control, not that you own like after Wall Street's had its say, right? Which where they make it super expensive for you, they siphon off all the money or whatever, you know. And so, like, I have most of my wealth in my own business, yep. and I I have the rest of my wealth in Bitcoin, and then I use that to buy other businesses, like maybe car washes or things that like produce income yep. um, that people are always going to need, you know, most likely, right? Unless if the world breaks down and we have zombie apocalypse and none of this shit matters anyways, right? So there you go. It's just like. That's how I'm thinking about it. Like, so, and, and I'm playing a waiting game so that if we do move to a finance, a sound money system, if, if the if Bitcoin becomes a world reserve currency, then I'm going back into mode again. I'm buying up as much businesses and cash flowing things, and maybe I get back in the stock market. Maybe I buy, I'm buying Airbnb real estate properties, like whatever. Like, or maybe I get into rare art or something. I mean, yeah, rare art's another thing, but that's like outside my purview or what right. I could afford. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I actually came to the exact same conclusion this year where I'm thinking, cause this has kind of been like a financial goal year for me, financial independence, finally get a hold of finances, things sovereignty, like that. Financial sovereignty. Yeah. Yep. And so it's been like top of mind all year. And I've, like I said, I've been listening to all these things. I'm like, okay, like what to do, what to do, what to do. And the conclusion that I came to is the two B's Bitcoin and businesses. Yep. Like to exactly. me, I, I like to me, I was almost like, Everything else is like, like you said, there are opportunities if you go super deep and niche. Like if I really understood everything about real estate, I could probably turn that into a, like a good investment, like decent ROI. Mm-hmm. Same thing with stock equities and, and whatever. You can probably, if you're super intelligent, get decent ROI. But to me, like the only two things that actually were like long-term, it's going to create financial wealth, financial independence is... Bitcoin and businesses. Like to me, there was like nothing else. And like, that's like what I decided that's going to be my diversification. I'm going to diversify in those two asset classes. And, and that's basically what I did. Cause I was trying to figure out what to do. Like, I think what percentage, you know, a portfolio should be in gold and commodities and long volatility and equities and bonds, like standard traditional financial advising, which probably makes sense if I was already super financially free and just wanted to try and preserve wealth, probably focus more on that. But, you know, at this point in my life, it's like, to me, the only, the safest and the most upside, those are the two things. hundred percent. Well, which usually you have to choose risk or reward, but to me, it's like, those two are like, they feel like the least risky with also the most amount of reward. Well, the models don't apply anymore. That's the thing. The models don't apply. We've printed one fourth of all U.S. dollars in existence within like a twelve month, fourteen month period of time. Right. Okay. And so models only, literally don't apply. No, to they that. literally don't apply. Right. So all traditional investing, this, that, whatever. Right. Um, we're at a fifty year anniversary of Nixon taking us off the gold standard. 
This yeah. is a this is just one more example throughout history of fiat dollars, the fiat, fiat system uh, losing ninety seven percent of its purchasing power, whatever, and then will eventually collapse. So, nothing that worked before or that was considered safe or whatever is is. And I even believe that the stock market is probably going to stop working because the underlying money that they're transacting in and denominating in is toxic, and therefore that parasite is infecting balance sheets and P and Ls and businesses. Right. Yep. And then inflation is affecting the consumer on the consumer end. That will affect supply chains. It's, oh God, it's just like, what are they thinking? They're not. They're just, you know, it's a political four year, I don't care what's going to happen the next day, I'll deal with it type of thing. I mean, once I think it gets more widely known that it's the dollar is really risky. It's very the it's very like unknown. Like to me, to me, that's what it China, was. China's already planning on it. They're the dollar, the dollar is risky. And so then I was looking, I'm like, okay, all these assets are denominated in dollars. So they're all risky too. The only way to hedge against that risk is to get out of the USD financial system. Yep, that's where and, DeFi comes in. Yep. And the only way to do that, there's only a couple of things. Buying like physical gold gets you out of that system uh, and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what else? I guess you could invest in foreign currencies foreign you know businesses fiat, though. but they the same all, thing but it's so, so tied in yeah, with yeah. the with us dollar and it's it is a global fiat. problem at this so it is a global a glo- problem and t- the only way to escape it is you know there's there's limited options to try and step out of that risk yeah yeah and i feel like everyone should feel that risk even if it, they think it's a small risk like a one percent risk mm-hmm. that means you still should be buying bitcoin yeah. right mm-hmm because there is a non-zero risk with the U.S. dollar when you just print forty percent of the money supply in one year. Yeah, yeah. Maybe um, to wrap up, we should do like a quick. Uh, maybe I can explain how I'm doing it, like my actual strategy. Because I get a lot of people ask me about yeah. how do you buy it, this and that, and like yeah. obviously you can go to Google and figure it out. It's not that hard, but like there are scams out there and there are complexities. There's a lot so, of scams out there. Yeah, First yeah. of all, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. Let's go dive into that. This is this is the way I do it. This is how I'm thinking about it. Okay? Yeah. I use Coinbase Pro when I buy Bitcoin because it's some of the best fees. I think Gemini might be similar. I haven't looked at Gemini. Um, I actually create a Gemini account. I'm going to keep a little bit there. I'm, so my other strategy is I like to diversify some of my holdings. I have it in different areas. I'm going to have some cold storage with multi-sig, uh, which is basically just a more safer way to have it. I have some that are in wallets that are big institutions that have just like a low default risk or whatever. Um, but you generally, you know, when you have coins with a third party, you are at risk. It's called custodian risk. And so these are things people need to understand and do their research on. And, but even cold storage is risk. Like when I think about how, like, if I lost my passphrase, all my stuff's gone forever. I can never get it back. Like that dude that lost his hard drive that has like 400 million of Bitcoin on it. Like that pains me. And I think we're going to, as the market matures, we're going to reach a point where people are going to feel safer with third-party custodians than doing it themselves. But we're just not there yet. Cause like people leave millions of dollars with bank of America and things like that. But like bank of America literally Go gives it out. Access they could they could they could block your access to your funds. Like and right. so, there's risk with with everything. You have to kind of understand them and figure out a strategy that works for you. So I'm currently earning yield through Celsius, and I have a little bit of BlockFi. And there's another company called Holdul Not. They're based out of Singapore that have really good rates. I'm, they're smaller, but I'm, I'm I have a little bit there, and I'm earning some of these returns on these things. And you know, a lot in the Bitcoin community say if it's not your keys, not your not your your crypto. And I you know like that's fine. I agree with that, but like. I'm also still a part, a member of society and there are still things that happen. So we haven't really hit full blown, like the world's imploding yet. I hope we don't have to hit that because it's gonna be very bad for a lot of people. And my money's probably not gonna matter. Probably the food and my guns are gonna matter more, right? So like, I'm still putting faith that humanity can figure it out. I actually believe Bitcoin is a revolution happening. It's it's a it's a, it's a bloodless revolution, fortunately, right? Rather yeah. than an actual physical revolution. So I keep that, I think that's gonna keep happening there's going to be pain along the way and most people are going to be caught off guard. So that's why I tell everybody that I can like buy whatever you can just have some, because I mean, you having a couple hundred dollars today in Bitcoin might be, let's say it's worth $10,000 in a few years, you get wiped out with everything else, but at least you have like $10,000 in financial energy that you can use to like cross borders or buy food or like yeah. get material get supplies that you need, right? Yep. Whatever. So like, this is a sovereignty slash safety slash insurance policy that everybody should own. So buy it through Coinbase Pro. Or even just Coinbase app, you can use that and just like buy it and keep it. It's not a big deal. Uh, worth, if you don't have worth, a lot, I was going to mention that. There. I was going to yeah. mention that because I Coinbase, it's easy to set up. 
and it's got a nice user interface. It's very but simple. One yeah. thing I didn't start doing until recently this year actually was all you got to do is go to pro.coinbase.com. You don't have to create same another account. It's the same account cheaper. and yep. you'll get cheaper fees. Yes. Uh, yep. So I wish I'd have known that earlier. Uh, yep. It's a little bit more intimidating of a user interface, but really it's pretty simple. And so pro.coinbase.com is what I do. And like you were saying, the, the, the saying is not your keys, not your Bitcoin, which is true. But also if you lose your keys, then it's also not your Bitcoin. So there's this, uh, people need to balance. If you're not gonna be able to take care, custody your own keys, which is basically saving a password. Okay, let's just keep it simple like that. If you're not gonna, if you don't trust yourself, it's probably better to trust Coinbase um, because, you know, they know what they're doing. They're probably, you know, one of the safest solutions. Uh, And so especially the amount matters a lot. If you have 100% of your worth in it, maybe you want to custody it yourself. Um, but if it's like 10% or of some you- of it, you should custody some. Everybody should custody some. I agree. Have some in a, in a wallet or whatever and so different things. And so I have a mix where um, I, I like to spread mine out a little bit. There's a few options because I'm going for a I'm I'm going for a return right now. I'm yeah. also, I'm a very, I'm not risk adverse. Like I invest in companies. I, yeah. I buy assets. Like I've been playing poker for years. So like for me, a 6% return, it, like even if it is the majority of my my wealth, I'm willing to take that risk because honestly, if something crazy happens um, and I lose everything, I'm just I'll have it all back in a year because I have the skills, right? So like I always put my faith in my skills, anyways. So why so, Celsius over Block BlockFi? Uh, well, BlockFi recently lowered the rates quite a quite. Oh, a they bit. did. And but they're still they're they're both good options. BlockFi is yeah. a little bit bigger and they have more funding, yeah. and so it's just yeah, it's going to depend. Um, but Celsius is who, is who I'm using for the loan because they also have better rates on their loans. Okay, right. Mean. And so I'm going to take some of that capital and move that into some other assets, and then just yeah, I have I have kind of a strategy. But this like I'm taking on risk. I took out a loan. It's, it's leverage. Like I don't recommend anybody do that unless you really know what you're doing and you really understand the pros and the cons and the, your risk tolerance. And like obviously taking out a loan, you have to pay that interest back and then I got to pay the principal back. So like I factored all this into my model and I realized that it was worth it. Right. And yeah. I had no other debt other than that though. So like I'm debt-free as a, as a person. Yeah. Right. And so I, I I'm willing to have that flexibility, but buy Bitcoin, don't sell it. Don't care about the price. Other than if you're trying to buy more, the only time you care about the price is if you can buy more and you just yeah. hold it forever and think about it as an insurance policy. If you're not into finances or like investing or any of these things and you just want to like protect yourself and I'll give one Example, I have to hop on another podcast, but there is one example of how people can think about this. So my mom is buying a used car. Okay. Her car is like 300,000 miles. The thing's been amazing for 10 years, but like she needs a new car. Okay. Like it's a safety hazard at this point. And she was going to go to like, let's say a car max and buy it with like 25% down, 30% down for down payment. And then they finance the rest. Okay. But I told her, I was like, no, do not give a dime to them because you can take that $5,000 and she already had a little bit of Bitcoin. So she, I basically converted all of her, all of her retirement money, every health savings, everything she had. We bought Bitcoin, right? Celsius is going to give her a loan for the down payment at 1% interest because it's 25% of what she has. And she takes that loan, that, that fiat money, buys the car, and then the, they, they finance the rest right? And she only has to pay 1% on the, the down payment of the loan that she borrowed to use for the down payment for the car. Yep. And within a, in, a, in a year, if Bitcoin has been growing at what has been growing, or even if it grows at a fraction, even if it grows at 50%, she's going to have double the amount of Bitcoin. Take a loan against that. A, a bigger loan, loan to value. And if she needs more capital, she can actually loan more, right? Or just pay off that loan and like still be up 100, 200%, whatever, whatever it is. Like, it's amazing. She, she, became her own bank and she still owns ass- that asset that's going to keep growing. And then she bought that, that thing. It's not an asset's car. It's an expense, but she needs it. Yeah. Right. And it's like incredible, right? Where most people are like, Oh, I got $5,000. Let me go buy that car. Let me get that down payment. Right. That's no, 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 no. You buy assets and anytime you can, you leverage them. And this, this is what's so crazy about DeFi and crypto. It's going to open this up. Like most people need to own real estate. I mean, banks don't really like give you a collateralized loan, like for your jewelry or your diamonds or your computers. Like it's just not, there's not a, a market for doing that. Whereas Bitcoin and crypto is going to be this entirely new lending market. That's going to revolutionize like everything. It's, it's insane. I agree. And one other way to think about it that I think will help for people that are not, that don't want to go deep, you know, they don't care about collateralizing it. Right. Think of Bitcoin as a savings account. 
Then yep. you, you don't look at price with a savings account. And I, the example is my girlfriend. I, I told her, I was like, look, it was in 2018. I was like, just start putting a percentage of your income into, into Bitcoin. Uh, and she's been doing that for this entire time. And she's yep, got, awesome. it, it's, uh, you know, she's been working for the same company, highest maxing out 401k for, you know, 15 years. And in three years, she has like three times as much money in her with her Bitcoin than she has accumulating that savings. Yeah. And so thinking about it as a savings account takes pressure off. It's like, look, it's in savings, hands off. Don't worry about price. Don't worry about collateralizing. That's the, that's the, yep. that's the true hodler strategy is just, yep. this is the savings account. And then uh, I think people will be happy they take that strategy. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's amazing. Yeah. We, we could definitely do like a round two sometime. I mean, we could obviously talk about this forever, but I think it's uh we need to do I round mean, two later this year. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah, it starts going parabolic, I'm like, should I take, going on. I'll be like, should I take a loan against this or should I sell some? I, yeah. Or just let it sit there like do nothing. So a lot of times, I mean, think about it. Warren Buffett makes most of his money by making no decisions every year. He might make one or two buying decisions and that's it. That's why Berkshire Hathaway has $130 billion in cash because they don't know where to put it. Yep. I just want to make one decision this year. That's it. One decision every four years. Do I buy? Do I sell any? <laughs> well, I can already tell you what that should be. No, don't, don't sell. <laughs> just to try and accumulate more Bitcoin, which is, you know, just kind of my financial strategy at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. All right. This, this chat's been awesome. And have a fun next podcast. Uh, I'll get this up. I think it'll be helpful for people. And yeah, round two later this year. Yeah, when people can find me, Colin.coach, uh, that's one L, and they can always reach out to me with questions. I'm on Instagram or whatever, happy to help. I'll link everything in the uh, cool. description too, because you got a lot of you got a lot of good articles on Bitcoin. Yeah, I got a few on my website, yeah. Getting yep. started, how to buy it, things like yep, that. Yep. Cool. All right, Colin, I'll chat with you later. Appreciate you, Kevin. See you. See you. Keep the radio going. Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.